Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. Andy, we are in the throes of summer right now, which means that you've been out on some adventures um, yourself, and we are also planning a con, and it seems like we're, we're a month into summer, and I feel like it just started yesterday. Yes, I know. I realized today, looking at some work deadlines, that July is like right around the corner, and it does seem like it should only be mid-May right now. Yes, right. Yeah, like yeah, whether you like it or not, it's coming. Um, yeah, so like as I mentioned, the con, we have the Roll for Topic con is going to happen again out in Ann Arbor. Um, yeah, so uh, we're pretty excited for that. We actually just like nailed down the schedule and stuff. I'm excited. Please reach out if you are in town and you're you're planning on coming. You know, let us know. We can get you information if you need it. So you had mentioned to me before we got on that you had a topic that you wanted to discuss. I don't know. You want to reveal <laughs> reveal what you're thinking? Yeah, absolutely. But before we jump in, so summer is traditionally is when you catch up on your beach reads and mm-hmm. things like that. So before we jump into the topic I have in mind, have you been reading anything or watching anything that's kind of RPG adjacent or that's mm. gotten your GMing wheels spinning? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I could only read beach reads. Beach reads with my beach body. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm continuing to read, I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago, the Dungeon Crawler Carl series. Yeah. So I'm on the the fourth book of that. Yeah, so it's by Matt Dineman. Um, He is not like, you know, like a New York Times number one bestselling author, but he's... He's really good, um, and I'm really enjoying these books quite a bit. So they're they're a little bit silly. They're from the I just forgot it the RPG lit um, like genre lit RPG. Sorry, lit RPG. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they are they're just like a fantastic amount of fun. And of course that that gets my GM brain going because they're basically set up like he's going through a mega dungeon. This most recent one that I'm on, it's the fourth book. I think it's called the, the Gate of the Feral Gods, which is a rad title. The whole conceit of it is that he's sort of like locked in this small part of the dungeon with a bunch of other people that are going through the dungeon that are much lower level than him. So he has to sort of rally the troops, figure out how to get these underlevel other players up up to like, yeah, his level and all that. And then, you know, take them through this this whole story. But yeah, it's it's super fun. And it just makes me think, think about like how to design a dungeon in a way that is just like uh, so somewhat of a playground for your players to show off and to just sort of experience like the 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 zany parts of it because like i mean the books are written such you can tell that the characters are having a lot of fun and and stuff like that and it's very fun to read so so that's been good i know i will never convince you to read those books but maybe i'm convincing someone who's who's listening to the podcast if you bring one if you have a physical copy or something to uh (laughs) i will uh, i will take a look and yeah yeah. And past judgment. Yeah. Well, I just need to, I just need to evaluate the pun to non pun ratio mm-hmm. and uh, that will, that will determine it. So. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty high. So, <laughs> or pretty low. I don't <laughs> okay. know, whatever. <laughs> one to one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing is we just started watching the show severance. Have you heard of this or seen this? I have heard of it. Yeah. It is a, uh, a pretty cerebral sci-fi show that has, a number of horror elements to it i would say too without giving like too much away the the whole idea behind it is that there's this procedure called uh severance that you can go through which separates your working life from your your home life so it's like the the ultimate in work-life balance such that you you do not remember your brain is split right so whenever you go to work you're just at work right like you have a whole separate personality a whole separate set of memories and stuff at work and then when you leave work you have like the rest of your life um, and so the way that they sort of signify that is as you're um, as you're going down an elevator, there's like a moment at which you switch over 
the scary part, and this is like the minorest of spoilers, right? It comes up pretty quickly in the season, but I guess jump forward 30 seconds if you don't want to hear hear about anything about Severance, is the 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 working self never feels like they've left and they can never experience sleep. Oh, so wow. they go like they they go into an elevator, right? They start going up and then you know they switch over to their <laughs> their home life. Yeah. But then when they come back into consciousness, they're coming back down the elevator. No time has passed for them. Um and it is just like a chilling, <laughs> a chilling idea. That feels very relevant. To yes. The world we're all soaking in, right? Yes. Now. Oh, extremely. Yeah. But anyway, so that has my GM brain going uh, uh in all sorts of directions, right? Because there's that. I think there's an element of running games where you're sort of constantly trying to figure out stories and trying to like kind of crack them a bit and like think about how you might tell them. You know, so obviously if you have this setup in Severance, it's like you can think about a hundred million different ways this could go. Yeah. Um, so it's just like such a strong concept. Um, and like once you have heard about it, like it's just one of those sci-fi concepts that sort of just sticks in your craw and you're like, oh, that's that's awesome, right? Like I want to want to use that in one of my games or come up with something along those lines too that I think like your your players can really grab onto and be like this is the the logic of the world that that sort of guides all my decisions. Have you ever run an RPG or have you thought of running an RPG that has a kind of a sci-fi gimmick like that mm. that involves maybe hiding from the players what's really going on until they can kind of piece together the situation? You know, I'm trying to imagine like in an RPG, well think of the Matrix or just anything else where a protagonist is kept in the dark about certain things and it just feels like kind of a sci-fi thing mm-hmm. to do and then at some point in the course of the story they figure it out or they put the pieces together to figure out what's missing there's so many great science fiction stories and movies that have some element of that mm-hmm. you know the vast majority of sci-fi rpgs seem to sort of issue cleverness like that and i don't yes. mean that uh in the, the the sneery way that it sounded <laughs> yeah that did sound pretty pretty they, they pretty seem to that. avoid you know going for those kind of those high concept gimmicks and instead they stick with the more just uh you know action movie or mm-hmm. sci-fi movie type default have you ever yeah. thought about doing something like that and would you run that or does that just seem like it's not a good fit yeah, i think it'd be hard to pull off you'd want to have some parameters around like sort of what's secret and what's not both in game and out. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right on that. Like most sci-fi games that I can think of, right? Like the sci-fi part is like, Oh, you have phasers instead of swords or whatever. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like, that's, that's the limit of the technology. But I mean, you think about something like Star Trek and I've never played that RPG, but I mean, having access to faster than light travel or like being able to transport, right? Like the, you know, you know, beam me up Scotty, that style, style of stuff. Like that can really change how you, um, you interact with like action sequences or like, yeah, or just, yeah, things, things of those natures. Um, but yeah, going back to your question about running that, yeah, I think it'd be hard for me to pull off because I'm not, I don't have a very good poker face. And I think you sort of need, need to have that to piece those things together. That's that, that's that like drip feed of information throughout the campaign, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. There's some sort of evil mega corp that's behind everything. How do you like subtly make hints towards that? So people can piece it together. I think that'd be pretty hard to do, but I think it would be really fun. I think it's just, it's not something that me as a GM, I don't think I could pull off. Yeah. You see this a lot in Star Trek episodes, especially nineties, mm-hmm. like eighties and nineties Star Trek. 
for like the last decade i've been trying to make my way through star trek voyager um, okay which we can we when i get to the end of that we'll have to chat about it but yeah i mean it's really common or that a typical episode's premise will turn out like oh they were in the holodeck the whole time or mm-hmm. oh this is like some kind of a dream sequence or oh they're actually clones of the real crew and you can do this in a show and it works but Mm -hmm. it's hard to imagine and i thought about this when i was when i ran my star trek adventures recently i was trying to think you know what's a very star trekky adventure to have and lots of star trek grid star trek episodes have one of these gimmicks but in a rpg how do you how do you pull that off like how do Mm -hmm. you say at the end no you it was you're actually in the holodeck, you know? Um, yeah, there's something to be very deflating about that, I think, if it if it took, you know, like a Star Trek episode is what, 45 minutes or so, you know, right. cut, cut the commercials out of it. I think that's a good amount of time for the, the big reveal to be like, oh, actually, like this other thing was was going on. I think if I got to the end of even a three-hour session and that was the big, <laughs> the big reveal, it'd be like, well, okay. Yeah. I guess. Thanks, thanks for all that. Unless there's some sort of like, yeah, really, really nice direct tie. Like maybe like the big bad was also in there with you, right? Like he was controlling, you know, the holodeck. Yeah. At the same time, right? And that's why I don't know. Yeah, you were um, pirates on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, out in the middle of the sea. It's uh, it's interesting food for thought. Uh, in thinking, if I want to run something at RFT Con, the con mm. theme is secrets. Yes. So one of the type of secrets you can have is to hide something from your players about mm-hmm. what the game's experience is going to involve yes so i've been thinking through like is it fun or is it irritating if like you know what if halfway through the game session we switch to a different game and i mm. grab your character sheet and i hand you something else you know is that fun or is that not really am, am i trying to achieve an effect in an rpg that really is better suited for other mediums yeah so like the the change into a different game you know new character sheet i mean i think that's really fascinating if you can pull that off such that it, it makes sense. I think that sort of reveal would be, I would be delighted at the table if, if that happened, right? Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. no one, no, everyone listening, pretend you yes. didn't hear that then. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, if you, you've read, have you read Pattern Recognition by yes, William Gibson? I, I really enjoyed that book. Yeah, I, I think about that book quite a bit, but I feel like yes. that's, that's a good example of, I mean, very near future sci-fi or like, you know, present day sci-fi almost when it was written right like now now everything in it is antiquated but um like that that book is just so good at that slow drip feed of information yeah right like the the main character she just like keeps on discovering like little bits of information that like that piece together all this right and that's the whole whole point of her character really is is that she's good at that sort of thing but i mean like yeah if you want a master class and how how you build up like a grand mystery and it's and yeah and watch as it's being solved sort of real time like that book is is 100 worth reading yeah or to keep on the gibson theme the peripheral which yeah. i'm currently watching the show i really enjoyed that novel mm-hmm. uh, you know how would you pitch the peripheral as a role-playing game uh, mm-hmm. and i won't spoil the details of the twist but there's like a there's kind of a a twist that radically changes your understanding of what's going on like mm-hmm. partway through the book you know is do you pitch that as as the pre-twist plot line uh, or does your pitch contain that twist as part of its pitch? And so you go in, <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cause with, if you have that information, like a reread of a lot of Gibson novels, um, like you just have so much more information 
like yeah and i just i don't know how you would sustain interest in the game if it was like if there's sort of like hidden knowledge of the world that you didn't quite know yet yeah or um, think the matrix right like yeah is the matrix do you pitch that like do you do a couple sessions of like neo being a programmer mm-hmm. you know doing having real world adventures yeah and then you unveil that you're actually running this martial arts you know sci-fi yeah gobbledygook awesome <laughs> uh you know uh movie or show or yeah i mean i think like like in all things it's sort of you know player buy-in right so if you have players that sort of want to experience that and like want to go through go through that experience i think it's great i, I do think you need to not leave the reveal for too long yeah um and then the the campaign cannot hinge only on the reveal right like it's got to be there's got to be something interesting yeah <laughs> interesting after it which is a problem because like i mean those those the hooks are really fun to think about it's the like how do you make it cohesive and, and enjoyable through to the end that's the hard part <laughs> yeah. when i was younger running uh dungeon dragon second edition uh ravenloft came out and mm. ravenloft was is was kind of tsr's well you know about ravenloft mm-hmm. it had strahd in it and i don't know the timing i suspect it was an attempt to cash in on like vampire and, and yeah. other horror theme stuff but um the premise of that was you can occasionally pull your characters from their normal campaign into the mists of ravenloft and have mm-hmm. a, a horror adventure and then you know probably drop them back into wherever they're normally adventuring and so that's what i did on a number of different occasions and it always felt a little bit like a risk I was taking hmm. because if you show up and you're ready to like spend the next couple sessions pursuing your quest in the world of Kryn or Greyhawk or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you get pulled into like, oh, actually we're doing a hollow, you know, a surprise Halloween thing <laughs> for the next couple of sessions. Yeah. Maybe that's awesome. Or maybe you're like, this isn't what I signed up for. Yeah. It, it feels like getting a good fun surprise is worth the risk, but the risk is that somebody won't enjoy the surprise, right? Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, we don't need to beat this topic to death, but yeah. I I think maybe we could circle back and talk about this as a topic on a future episode. Yeah, no, I think this is all really good stuff to talk about. Like like you mentioned, right, the, the con that we have coming up, the theme is secrets. So we're all sort of thinking about those <laughs> those sorts of things. So I think this is this is like all good food for thought. In a situation like with, with a con game or a close group of friends, I mean, there's mm. there are situations where you could say, hey, guys, I have kind of a fun idea for this yes. game. And I need you to bear with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, I that's how I would do it if I were mm-hmm. going to try to run a Matrix style switcheroo game. Yeah, I think you know, most most people again like will sort of rise to the occasion when you do that. Like I, I've certainly asked players before to like just just go with me. Like right, like I'm going to set up some ground rules and then we're going to say go. And now we're in the game. And like when we're in the game, I need you to like kind of participate in this and in, in a certain way for this to work. Yeah, and that can work really well. It can also feel a little bit like everybody's sort of acting, but I think that's okay too, right? Like yeah. that's like that's that's fine. Yeah, you don't need like not everybody has to be like so fully committed that their uh, disbelief is suspended completely and utterly at every moment at your game table. Well, the other thing I wanted to touch on briefly before we move on to our real topic was so the big kind of RPG adjacent thing I've been reading lately is I finally made it through the first two books of Gene Wolfe's uh, book of the new sun. Hmm, okay. So shadow of the torturer and claw of the conciliator. Okay. And I tried in a book group that I think you were a member of, I mm-hmm. tried reading the first book of this many years ago, kind of bounced off some unpleasant setting elements mm-hmm. uh, that left a bad taste in my mouth. 
but so many it's just one of these books that so many people i respect are like it's it's worth it it's worth it it's worth it that i revisit it yeah uh just real quick i'm i'm googling shadow of the torture and i think i read this and i think i think about this book quite a bit yes you yes. follow severin the the torture yes yes yeah i it was very good but yes it was it was unpleasant <laughs> Yeah, and this book marked us to unpack more later, but mm -hmm. a while ago, I was on the our sister podcast, if we're calling it that, The Splat mm -hmm. Book, talking about Stephen King's The Gunslinger. Yeah. And after the recording, we were talking about like some of the gross parts of that book that we did not discuss mm -hmm. on the podcast because they're gross yeah. and no one wants to talk about them. But Kyle Latino or someone was saying, you know, the challenge with those things are like, you know, sometimes those create the friction with like a work of art that actually makes it memorable to you. Mm -hmm. And that I've thought about that a lot as I read Gene Wolfe, because I find a lot of elements of the story. I find the main character kind of gross and I find elements of the, the setting is kind of a cruel, ugly one. But at the same time, it's very compelling. And I don't think a version of the story that polished those away would be as compelling. So yeah, there is a tension there or a friction that makes it work. You know, you wind up with a work of art that it's maybe hard to recommend to someone, although mm -hmm. it was worthwhile for you to experience it. And that you that I think about, I've been thinking about that stupid book since I finished it. Yeah, there. that is right on. Kurt Vonnegut has a book uh, Galapagos, I think. It's it's not necessarily one of his strongest novels, although like all of Vonnegut novels, like there's lots of stuff in it. They're just like, oh, that is a, a really brilliant observation on humanity. Yes. Um, yes. But like, yeah, there's there's a point at which like there's something that's like you know kind of gross that happens in it. But I think Vonnegut actually like kind of breaks the fourth wall and sort of says like, this is why none of my my books ever get made into movies. Oh, right? It's because there's always like this element of it that's like. It's gross. It sort of works on the page, but if you tried to visualize it, like it would just be distasteful enough that you wouldn't want to watch it, right? And like, but you also sort of need to have it described for the story to work, yeah, right? Yeah, and like that's that's absolutely true. It's like, well, now, now I don't know, like you know, how do I recommend this book to someone? It's like you almost need to be like, look, you, I know that this was not great. <laughs> you are also going to think that's not great. I don't want you to have that be a reflection upon like my morality <laughs> right, <laughs> that I'm recommending exactly. this to you. Right. It's like the same reason, like there's probably certain movies you just never recommended your parents, even though they would might enjoy them. They need to get that recommendation from someone else. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you have a different relationship to your parents than I do, but like, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's absolutely something to that. Awesome. Well, Hey, let's, um, I think we now have an, another podcast where we talk about video games all the time and mm -hmm. uh, we're just going to have to have one where we talk about the fantasy books that we're reading. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but let's move back to our actual podcast gaming topics. And mm -hmm. so, Chris, I have something to a topic to love in your general direction. Mm -hmm. I just got back from a road trip to and back from uh, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So uh, stayed in a lot of cool places, saw a lot of cool history stuff, especially Civil War battlefields and stuff while I was yeah. down there. Super neat. And of course, because my GM brain is always running. I emerged from that trip with the sense that in the fantasy D&D-ish games I run, none of the towns or villages that the PCs stop through feel very interesting or like they have anything definingly cool about them. And I'm not okay. talking about like the big capital cities, which will, you know, by the nature of what they are. We'll have mm -hmm. lots of cool stuff in them. You know, as we're driving through, and we took kind of a off the interstate, more rural drive through these states. And as, mm -hmm. as you know, as you travel, I mean, everywhere you go, every town seems to have like a thing. So it's like, this is the birthplace of, of so-and-so, or mm -hmm. 
we have like a a tiny one room museum dedicated to this very specific piece of history that's relevant to our town Mm -hmm. or it's the thing like so we stayed with a number of friends in these different towns and so they would always be like oh while you're here you the one thing you've got to do or see or eat is this Yeah. So I was wondering if maybe we could talk about in a D&D type environment, besides a few of the really obvious things, like there's a, a statue of a hero in the town mm-hmm. square. What are like half a dozen things that are more interesting than that statue in the town square mm-hmm. that could just uh, liven up that town that exists only to have an inn where you can like restock supplies? That's a super good question. Um, before we get into that, though, uh, what's the smallest town you've ever lived in? <laughs> Oh, I've ever lived in, I've never yeah. lived in a really small town. So I okay. guess uh, like Muskegon, Michigan is probably okay. the smallest. Yeah, yeah probably. That's, but I don't think that, I wouldn't call it a really a small town. No, yeah, no, I would say that's, yeah, it's like a decent sized town. So I, I lived in a small town in Indiana for a little bit, Alexandria, Indiana. <laughs> the way I like to describe Alexandria is when you get off the highway to to turn into Alexandria, there's a bunch of signs that say, you know, like, you know, food, gas, you know, all that sort of stuff. They're all pointing in the opposite direction from Alexandria. <laughs> so you, you get off the highway and it's like, well, it's that way. But if you need anything else, you know, go the other way. <laughs> but it's the sort of, of city that is absolutely like that. It's like you have two diners, right? There's the one downtown and the one on the outskirts of town. There's like one famous person who's from there, who has like a a mega compound in the middle of the city, right? (laughs) You know, and then other than that, it's like, it's a very like knowable city. You have a handful of buildings, right? There's a grocery store that is since closed. So now you got to drive 20 minutes to go to the mire, right? Like, you know, all those, those sorts of details about it that like is, are common in other towns. But I mean, I think the thing that I keep on thinking about with small towns and the, the ones around there in Indiana that, that I kind of visited. Yeah, you're right. They all have that one thing. There's usually some sort of like, somewhat disgraced famous person <laughs> you know or like you know someone who's like well i guess i guess they're famous enough for them for you know them to be our famous person yeah so i mean i think that there's just like your first hook right like so there is you know some sort of like rich person famous person that like did not quite make it yeah another town that i was in that i uh, worked at the public library down in indiana elwood indiana that place there was a failed like republican presidential candidate from from down there like right like, okay even, yeah didn't even make the you know like right. wasn't even like the, the person or I, he might have been like you know the, the gop candidate or something right right like that but like the the town is very proud of that although like by all accounts so what right like you, you didn't win but like it was you know important for them but i mean that leads to lots of interesting things like you know people who who like you know can claim claim genealogy right like with with this person yeah you have that one room museum Stuff like that. But in a D&D setting, I think you could do that exact thing. But then there's also like, you know, some treasure that they have that's part of, you know, part of their, right? Like, just like that that hook to be like, oh, I remember that town because this is the town where the guy who ran for mayor of Neverwinter yeah, didn't make it. Was from. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a good one. So what marks this famous person in mm-hmm. the town? A middling wizard who mm-hmm. served for like one of the lesser kings was born <laughs> here, right? Yeah. So what do you have in the town that the PCs would encounter about that? Besides mm-hmm. just hearing, oh, that wizard was born. Yeah. I mean, I think you could have like a street named after them or like maybe the town square is named after them too. An area. Maybe his childhood, like home. Yeah. Sometimes you go to these towns in the little towns in the plain states or Midwest and like a little uh, hut or something, you know, from the 1800s will have been carefully restored. 
what if there's this shelves of like his old letters and journals and he Ooh. doesn't really realize that they're all still there and maybe in those letters is yes. like interesting redeeming <laughs> information. But anyway. Yeah, well, that's um, a good hook, yeah. <laughs> like oh they pre- preserved it. I didn't realize that they used that sort of magic that, that <laughs> right. preserved everything that I've ever thought. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's that, like, you could have, like, a library, um, yeah, named after them, right, along those same lines, too. Oh, yep. Yeah. And maybe it's a themed, kind of a themed library, like, maybe he donated money, and they, this weird little town has an oddly extensive collection of magic books centered around a very specific type of magic or something. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because I think, like, yeah, you could could easily send your players on like a bit of a wild goose chase you know trying to find like yeah one one specific spell or like yeah one specific piece of information so the the other thing i'm thinking right like just yeah like to to change the subject a little bit is like yeah. i think and you touched on it right like the the world's largest whatever mm, right so yeah. a lot of these towns will have like um i mean i think there was a town again sort of nearby where i was living down there that had like the world's largest like ball of paint right like, so, like you know <laughs> like stuff like that or the world largest ball of twine yeah something like that like I'm a bit jokey, so I would probably make it like the the, the world's like second largest ball of time, right? Because right? right. like someone, you know, some other city, you know, well, like the yeah. right group of players. In the same way that players will sometimes go crazy with like dumb little comic mm-hmm. NPCs that you throw in, the right group of players could have a lot of fun with a town that has the second largest ball of paint, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like I mean, I think I, I immediately went to like, well, let's make it the number one largest right like how how are they gonna (laughs) are they gonna do that you know kind of restore the town's reputation but yeah i mean i think there's there's like all sorts of of things you could do like i don't know maybe like the the world's like largest like uh you know coil of rope right like you know your 50 foot rope section they have one that's five thousand feet long you know (laughs) yeah you know one obvious thing is there's like a cool natural feature there but Mm -hmm. in a fantasy setting where you're teleporting around and raising the dead it's harder to evoke the kind of goofy wonder sometimes that yeah. a bizarre natural formation or a bizarre piece of art um, mm-hmm. would evoke. But I think if, if you have players who could get into it, that'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. It does make me think that you mentioning the second biggest, whatever uh, does make me think that like rivalries could be a fun thing, like mm-hmm. just a dumb local rivalry with the other town says that they have the oldest whatever yeah the oldest loaf of bread and you say that (laughs) you your town has it and you both have a shrine to your yes ancient loaf of bread or something like that when people are proud of stuff you know like proud of things about their town like i think that's a very real sense right like it doesn't matter like how big city you are and you're like looking down down on them like why do you care that you have the largest ball of twine you're like yeah yeah this famous person was from there it's like well, because like, because we do, like, we all kind of sort of like collectively care about. So I think as much as you can kind of build that into your your fantasy towns is the better, right? Like, it's it's not just something that you can brush off that all these people really care about their them having the oldest loaf of bread. Like, this is a very real, like, concrete, right, right, yeah, concrete thing. And it's like it's sort of up to the players to either ignore that hook entirely or to get also invested in it. And I think they're probably most of the time going to get invested in something. Yeah, that out there and silly. There are ways you could tie something like this into a plot, like you know, find the wizard's childhood home and poke through his diary to find his yeah. his hidden secret. But for the most part, this is stuff meant to kind of add flavor. Mm-hmm. So some other things just to kind of to keep moving along. So food is obviously a huge one. Mm-hmm. In each place we stayed, where we stayed with friends, their thing that we had to do in the town was 
you've got to try this the catfish here is oh, fantastic so yeah. it reminds me of our episode a couple episodes ago with jeremy by where he described a time when we were talking about using food in rpgs and he talked about having his players come to this inn and they had the option to buy this more expensive fancy version of the food and all of them were like well of course we have to buy yes. the <laughs> the elaborately named more expensive no mechanical difference whatsoever mm-hmm. um, version of this food i've been in towns where like you know people really take the food seriously you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah. like this is we make this kind of pastry here it's our thing have you and every meal it's like you're, you're having one or someone's trying to push one on you yeah totally that that like yeah the, the local delicacy or just like the the one restaurant right that everybody everybody goes to you do a lot a lot with that I'm I'm trying really hard not to just strip mine my memory for everything from Alexandria and mention it here. But <laughs> it sounds it sounds delightful, actually. It's like, uh, yeah. I mean, I think when you have so few things to choose from, like everything sort of starts to fixate in your mind. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. The other, um, have you heard of mudlarking before? No, I don't. Okay, think so. so mudlarking is this like hobby pastime, whatever you want to call it, where people will go to uh, to to rivers and sort of dig around and see see sort of what they can find inside of them so there's a lot of people that do this out in london on the thames right like you because you just have all this history of like people who've thrown all their (laughs) their garbage essentially (laughs) into the river over like hundreds if not thousands of years and stuff so you can find stuff that was garbage to them but like it's sort of a neat curiosity yeah like a town like on the outskirts of neverwinter whatever like you know some some sort of like stream uh downwind from another place like maybe the entire thing about the town is like picking (laughs) picking garbage out of the the river to, to resell huh. or something like that. Yeah. Or it's like they are the garbage heap for Neverwinter. There's lots of ways that the, the party could confront that, right? Like maybe it's just like, oh, that's that's weird. You know, or maybe there's, you know, ways they could exfiltrate stuff out of the city by tossing it into into the river and then going to pick it up like later. Or, you know, going to the city to, like, stop them from polluting everything downriver. So here's a different one. When I was younger, my mom my mom wrote a novel set in uh, a smallish town in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And we basically spent several summers worth of family vacations going up there so mom could use the local library and archives mm. to read yeah. up. And she was looking for, like, you know. Just all, all sorts of detail, going through records, basically, to so that she could present the town accurately. And, you know, what if it, the the idea of a town that keeps exhaustive records about something or about <laughs> itself, I think, could have some potential to be interesting? Like, what if every visitor to a town who comes through the town gate has to write down where they came from, yes. what their business is, and where they're going next? Oh, wow. And yeah. so what if you have like 200 years in sitting in the town courthouse? What if there's 200 years of a list of every person that came through. <laughs> I mean, it, you could structure a whole plot around trying to find what happened to whatever, an expedition that vanished mm-hmm. 100 years ago. You could try to reconstruct a path by digging through the documentary record that they left. Yes, totally. And Andy, why is this line blank? <laughs> I don't understand. Right, like, yeah. And yeah. You, can, you can throw great, intriguing little mysteries in there as well. Yeah, and that's, that's totally the sort of thing, right? Like you have some eccentric person who's like going to take that on and then it becomes the city's identity totally and you know so something else and and again just to keep rolling here because i we should wrap up soon i mean so the other thing you see all the time is this is the place where blank happened or like variants of it this is where like blank event began or where blank event like ended so you know when i go to nebraska to visit my in-laws 
you know, you can go to towns there that are like this tiny little thing was where the westward expansion started. And Mm -hmm. you could use that kind of thing without info dumping stuff on your players. You could just build out your setting a little bit. It doesn't have to relate to what the players are doing, but and maybe even especially if you ask them, like you invite them to help you flesh out what happened. I mean, battles are the big thing, but maybe it's more interesting when it's not just this is where a fight happened. But this is where some sort of setting shaping thing touched this place in a way that it didn't touch other places. Hmm. And how did that affect the way that this settlement grew or shrank? Or how does it affect the attitude that the locals have towards the rest of the setting. Yeah, this is this is the spot where the Great Fire started, right? It's like right. And, and went westward from here. It's like, yeah, I mean, you could have that be. And to this day, they are insistent that they didn't start it. That, yes. You, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even though you, you you look west and all the trees are burned, but you look <laughs> east and like, you know. right, right. But I mean, yeah, there's yeah, you're you're right on. There's all sorts of ways to use that. Yeah, because I mean, like, right, like you think about it, like you're playing these games, and like you you're naturally traveling from place to place right like and i think yeah it is a shame to just leave that as like a okay you stop in this little podunk and spend the night and then get on to the next place sometimes you need that for pacing whatever but like i think there's lots of opportunities in there why is this worth doing you know why is it worth looking for little opportunities to flesh out these places i mean one obvious reason is just if you've ever looked through like kind of a more old school RPG setting, you know, there'll be like a even new ones, I guess. I have books in my basement, RPG books, setting books that have like 100 pages of history mm-hmm. that the GM is going to read maybe, but that the, the players are not unless they're really obsessed with the setting, right? Yeah. The creator is attempting to add immense depth to a setting for mm-hmm. to achieve some purpose of immersion or believability or 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 just heft you know no one wants to hand the players like please read these 50 pages of history that all happened before you came on the scene and doesn't really affect you no one wants to do that i've played a few video games where like museums are in the game so (laughs) i know i think one or more of the ultimas let you go into museums that let you look at artifacts from past games Mm -hmm. um, in the series I have a feeling there's some like clever ways to suggest depth of a setting that mm-hmm. aren't just info dumps that could be achieved through this little micro experiences where mm-hmm. you encounter a piece of the setting's history, piece of the setting that you are not going to bump into in the course of like the mission that you're on. Yes. Engage with it for a minute. Um, maybe play with it if your players want to or just move on especially i think if you're involving your players maybe in fleshing some of this out you could turn a fairly rote journey across the continent into something that significantly adds to like the experience of the setting so there's mm-hmm. my little monologue yes no that's a good monologue um and i'm going to tell you yet again without spoilers that i think you'd like severance quite a bit <laughs> okay <laughs> okay good. yeah <laughs> all right so yeah. uh all right. so this has been Roll for topic the severance uh yeah. the severance podcast and <laughs> sorry that's uh that's what the podcast is just whatever my current <laughs> current obsession is yeah whatever i looked at last before sitting <laughs> down to record is basically what this podcast ends up yeah talking about. sounds good okay uh, well shall we wrap things up yeah. did you have any final uh, statements along the lines of how to um how to interesting up your little towns in the middle of nowhere uh, the only thing I would say is try to visit more small towns and like, especially if you see that they're doing a street festival or you know, oh, like yes. something like that. Yeah. Go, go to all those small town festivals and like try to, I mean, I think, I think the majority of people who are listening to this are um, not 
sarcastic hipsters anymore right so like go with an open mind and enjoy those things rather than just going to be kind of like oh this is so dumb like what are they doing <laughs> right like yeah i mean i think i definitely did that in college i apologize to every, anybody who knew me back then but yeah it's uh like nowadays like that sort of stuff is great yeah but i mean i think that's where you get all, all the all the good ideas for like oh this is sort of like how how like weird and specific people get and how wonderful it is that they do do that and how to bring that into your games is the biggest ball of paint, which I have to say is magnificent, by yeah. the way. I, I, I pray that's real and that you didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But like, do you have one more juicy tidbit from super small town, Indiana to share? Tell us one other glory that awaits us in rural Indiana. Okay, yes. Well, so the, the world's largest ball of paint is in Alexandria, Indiana. You can go see it. <laughs> um, I just looked it up. Michael Car- Carmichael is uh, the guy that that has made it um, mostly by using latex paint. And by the way, you just know that there is like this insanely complex web of lawsuits and threats and like that half of the family like split off and claims they (laughs) have the true ball of paint. You just know there's an amazing drama behind this. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So the, I guess I'll I'll leave you with the the last um, note about Alexandria, Indiana. I don't know if it's still there, but the, like the one cafe in town was, uh, let's say it was operated by someone who was uh, hyper-religious. Um, so like you'd walk in and there were like crosses and religious paraphernalia <laughs> up, up absolutely everywhere. It was the sort of place you walk in and you're like, I, I understand who runs this place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and a not terrible cup of coffee. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, awesome. All right. Let's wrap up then. You want to uh, sign us off here? Yeah. Uh, well, this has been Roll for Topic. We thank you so much for listening. Um, our sister show, The Splat Book, um, continues. Uh, they they are amazing. Kyle Latino and jo- um, John Corey. I almost said um, Kyle Corey <laughs> and John Latino. <laughs> yeah. They're, They're sort of merging into, into one, one hive mind. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you can go listen to their podcast at thesplatbook.com. Um, it is really wonderful. They um, I have not listened to the latest episode but um i know that kyle um has a a sort of a new thing that he is fixated on which is i think it's like play away from the table is his his acronym p-a-w-f-f-t i'm not going to try to pronounce like what the acronym would be in real life but yeah go listen to that um kyle also has a new uh uh, game out as well which you can find on his um etsy store as well at macro yeah while we were on the road i caught up on my splatbook listening you know, there is maybe maybe like four splat books in a row is like the maximum the human okay. can can <laughs> yes. handle. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but I pushed those limits and uh, and it was actually very delightful. Yes, yeah, they're they're wonderful. I mean, they just think very deeply about these things, um, and I appreciate both of them so much. But yeah, so go listen to them. Um, yeah, we are part of the Roll for It Media Podcasting Network as as well as they are too. Um, yeah, uh, like I mentioned earlier, if you are in in Ann Arbor and you sort of you you know us personally, let us know if you want to come to the con and we can try to figure that out with you. Uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, it's happening later in August. But yeah, I think that does it for us. So I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rowe. And remember, if your player is having fun, you're a great GM. <laughs>